Okay, Matthew chapter 10. The last few weeks that I've spent with you, um, I have I wanted to make it really practical, wanted to talk about what it means um, to enter into conversations with our neighbors, with our friends, about the good news of the kingdom, the good news of Jesus. We've been saying all along that even though we are a family on mission that loves to demonstrate the good news of the kingdom, it's why we have this network, it's why we have the lab, we love to get out there and get our hands dirty and our feet moving, serving our neighborhoods and the nations. Um, And even though that very much is a part of what it means to be a gospel people, it's also unavoidable that God calls us to use our mouths um, to talk to people about following Jesus, about what Jesus has done in our own lives. And increasingly, there's more and more of our neighbors, there's more and more of our friends who really don't know the truth about Jesus and who really will never know unless somebody tells them, um, unless somebody in the context of relationship um, opens up a conversation about spiritual things. Uh, So we've been taking a number of weeks just to be as practical as we can Um, Also, to take the pressure off as much as we can um, and to find ways that this can be a natural part of our lives with our neighbors. Um, More recently, we've been in Matthew chapter 10. It's such a key passage because this is a passage where Jesus draws together his closest disciples, the 12 disciples, and he gives them instructions. It's what we have recorded really is his training manual for the disciples And he sends them out to do mission. And the way I think Jesus probably did this with his disciples is he would send them out and then they'd come back and he would debrief with them. So we're going to reread the passage today. um, But let's just have a little bit of a review first. I think I have a review somewhere in there. You know what, Ty? Forget it. Let's read this first since this is what came up. Um, I'll make it easier for Ty. So, hey, I love it when you read the passage with me. So let's read this together, Matthew 10, beginning in verse 5. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go, rather, to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, Drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Do not get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts. No bag for the journey or extra shirt or sandals or a staff, for the worker is worth his keep. Whatever town or village you enter, search there for some worthy person and stay at their house until you leave. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. It is not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. Truly, I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. 
On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Amen. I'm reading a little bit further in Matthew 10. Okay, we're going to review in just a moment some of what we have said about this passage so far. But before I do, I want to offer just some qualifiers at this point as we continue to talk practically about what it means to engage in mission. Um, I'm a storyteller by nature. I'm going to share some stories today, different kinds of stories than what I've been sharing so far. Um, But I love to share stories, and I love to share stories of mission. So I'm going to share some more today that are relevant to this passage. Um, But I want you to know that as you hear my stories, as, or as you hear me talk about mission, God may be working differently with me and my story than he is working with you and your story. So for instance, there is a way over the years, and honestly, it's taken a lot of practice. I think like the disciples are practicing with Jesus, I think we grow in mission the more we practice being on mission with Jesus. Um, I think rare is the person who steps out and is like, hitting it out of the ballpark, you know? It's like um, most of us enter into this incrementally. We take small risks. We put our toe into the water and see how it feels. I think that's normal for what it means to get on mission. Um, So I want to make it clear that some of the stories that I'm sharing, I'm not offering these stories to you as some kind of method for you to replicate, like this is the only way to do mission. Um, There are thousands of ways to do mission, Um, many of which I've never thought of, Um, some of which maybe you will think of. Maybe God will speak to you about how to do that. Um, For instance, I've shared some stories, I'm going to share some today, about this season where Steve and John and I were going to the mall in Robinson uh, to look for opportunities to pray for the sick and tell people about Jesus. Listen, I, I might share those stories, and that was a valuable and powerful season, But that only lasted a few months. That was not our main method for being on mission, and it's not my main method for being on mission today. It was a season of practice, and it was a season of practice that God may never lead you into. (laughs) Um, He may never call you to practice in that same kind of way. For us, it was valuable, and so I hold it out as an example. But what I'm not doing, and I think you know this, is saying, here's how you get on mission. You go to the Robinson Mall and look for sick people and pray for them, right? Um, And it's important that we say this because this is how Christian books are written. This is how conferences are made, right, about somebody's method. Um, It's so much deeper than method. What we have to learn to be is a people who learn to hear what God is saying and do it, right? And God speaks in so many ways. That's another sermon for another time. He speaks to us in different ways. He leads us in different ways. But the best mission, the best kind of mission we can engage is spirit-led mission. It's the kind of mission where we follow Jesus together and we hear him better in community with each other. Um, So if I'm sharing a story, a method, and you're thinking, oh, I could never do that, I could never go to the Robinson Mall, please do not get hung up on that. That might not even, don't even waste your time. That might not even be what God is saying to you. So don't waste any time, you know, trying to figure that out, you know, The question is, what is God saying to you today? That's the only thing you're responsible for. You're not responsible to me. me. You're not responsible to 
have the same stories I have, all right? Which brings me to my second thing. You will have different stories. Uh, This series has been so practical. I've loved how some of you have already stepped into new risks, just in small ways. I've heard the coolest stories in the last few weeks from some of you. Um, Small things, not that, you know, I went out and started a new program or a new organization in the network or something like that, but just small acts of love that maybe you wouldn't have taken before until we talked about this and God was leading you and your heart and your mind were open to what God might be saying to you. Um, But I want to tell you, the, the stories I have to share are my stories. That's really the only stories I have, right, are the ones that I've experienced. But many of you have stories too. And those stories are just as valuable and those stories are gonna sound different than my stories. Um, And that's okay too, all right? Um, The point is, what is the story that God is inviting you into in the lives of other people? And then the last qualifier I wanna make is I know what my personality is like. Um, I know that I'm outgoing. Every personality profile I take says that I'm about as extroverted as any human being could be, all right? Um, but I also want you to know that just be, extroverted means that you like being around people. It doesn't mean, or that you get energy from people, rather. It doesn't mean that you never feel awkward around people or that it never feels scary to have a conversation with a person, um, so don't confuse like my extroversion as me never having anxiety as I'm on mission. Um, as a matter of fact, that's some of what we're going to be talking about today. And please don't be thinking that if you don't have my personality that you can't be on mission. I mean, that's, like, that cannot be the case if God has filled all of us with his spirit and if he has put his spirit inside your personality, right? That's the personality that God wants to use. Um, she really doesn't like to be on the spot, but I'm going to put Angelica on the spot because she's here today. I'm so glad you're here. And um, let me tell you, I didn't check with you. I'm so sorry. But Angelica, <laughs> Angelica and I, and I think she would say this, we have such different personalities. You know, we have such like kinship in prayer and in the spirit, you know, and mission. Angelica has been part of us for a long time. Our personalities are nothing alike. You know, nothing. If you know Angelica and you know me, nothing. But Angelica's personality is wonderful, right? And God has given me, you know, a personality. I mean, here's what I've really loved about Angelica over the years. As different as our personalities are, many, many times when I preach these sermons on mission, um, Angelica will come to me in the weeks following and share with me some small risk that she took. Um, A risk on the bus as she was, you know, on her way to work, a conversation that she had with a coworker, all of this stuff. She's done it. You know what I mean? She stepped into it. And I'm so glad that Angelica did not get hung up on looking at me and saying, I have to have Joel's personality, I have to be like him before I can do it. We're different people, right? God is using Angelica. God is using me. And he's using us in different ways, right? Um, So the question is, how is God speaking to you, right? And here at the Gospel Tab, and with the Greenhouse Lab opening up and the network, we are actually, that's not something we just want to say, we actually want to put together structures so that if you at any point are being drawn by God into a mission in a new way, that we can actually support that. That is so different 
than a pastor like me saying, here's how God is using me. Will you volunteer in my vision? Um, we want to flip that. We want to say, what is God saying to you? And my role as a pastor here at the Gospel Tab is to serve you. It's to serve what God is doing in your life, right? Um, that's what we view the Gospel Tab as. Um, and we serve each other, you know, in that, okay? So, God may apply some of the things I'm saying in completely different ways, um, you know, than the stories that you're hearing from me. Nonetheless, I am going to share some stories today. Let's just review really quickly. Um, I think it's the next uh, slide. Thanks, Ty. Um, yeah, so we said out of Matthew 10 so far um, that Jesus gives the disciples identified territory. He tells them, uh, don't go to Samaria, don't go to the Gentiles, I want you to stay here in Jerusalem. There's a number of reasons why he says that to them, but some of it's very practical. He's in training mode with them. Eventually, the disciples will go to the ends of the earth, but right now, he wants to work with them close and invest in them close. He wants them going out, coming back so they can debrief, going out, coming back so they can debrief. So Jesus gives them this territory of mission. And we've been saying that Jesus gives us a territory too. The starting place is in the relationships that we have, the places where you work and play. Um, those are the places that God has given us. And while God may sometimes call us to a new place or a new thing or a new relationship, a mission always starts just in our day-to-day -day lives where we are. We said that Jesus gives the disciples delegated authority. He tells them to heal the sick and cast out demons to proclaim the kingdom. We've been saying that the authority to confront evil in all of its forms and the way that evil has oppressed and enslaved people, the authority for that battle is not our authority. It's Jesus' authority, but he shares with us the authority of the kingdom. And this means as we go on mission, there is no chain around anybody's life. There is no bondage that somebody faces. There is no one that... There is nowhere where uh, someone has been attacked and mistreated by sin and Satan and death and the devil um, that we do not have authority from Jesus uh, to, to um, address that in somebody's life. And so our confidence builds because Jesus sends us with his authority. And then we've been saying that Jesus sends us with intentional poverty. That is, he sends us leaning into our weaknesses, not going on mission with everything that we think we're good at and having all the right words and knowing everything to say and having answers for everybody. It's not really what God can use. What God uses is weakness, and he encourages the disciples to take nothing with them as a practical expression of embracing weakness on mission, of embracing vulnerability on mission as a starting point. And then later on in the passage, the next slide, Ty, we said uh, that Jesus calls us to go where the grace is, um, to follow him um, in the places where he is already working. We said the disciples are going from town to town, and he tells them to look for persons of peace. That is, just someone who is open to relationship or open to a spiritual conversation. And the, kind of the summary of Jesus' instructions to the disciples is, if someone opens up their home, if someone opens up their table, if someone opens up their life to you, Go where the grace is. Step into that and, and step into where, you know, God is working in this person's life and cooperate with what God is doing. If you don't have grace for that relationship, if, if the door isn't opening, if someone isn't interested, then Jesus essentially tells the disciples to move on. I find that very liberating to say, I don't have grace 
to, to be part of everybody's life, to be part of everyone's story. Um, but where God has given me grace in the life of someone else, I want to step into that relationally. Um, I think that takes a lot of the pressure off of what it means um, to follow Jesus on mission so we can move on if necessary. That's encouraging for me because it means I am not responsible, right, to save the whole world. In fact, I'm really not responsible to save anybody, right? This is Jesus' story. This is what Jesus is doing. And we're just identifying where he's already working in relationships, already working in people's lives and stepping into that. Now, if all of that sounds exciting, or maybe it sounds scary to you too, I don't know. But if all of that sounds like Jesus is giving the disciples vision, kind of like, come on guys, let's go. Well then, next in Matthew 10, things take a sharp turn and kind of get scary and depressing. Um, the next part of the training is Jesus preparing his disciples for the reality of what they're going to face. So Ty, if you could take it to the next slide. So I just have three statements for us today. That risk is real in mission. I wish I could tell you that we could be on mission without having to risk. It would be easier. But it's not true. Risk is real in mission. Also, suffering is real in mission. Jesus prepares his disciples for this, that if they're going to follow him in mission, that there's going to be more suffering. But God's love is the realest in mission, right? So risk is real in mission, suffering is real in mission, but God's love is the realest in mission. First of all, risk. I love how honest Jesus is with his disciples. If he were just trying to trick them to get them to do what he wanted, he wouldn't get into all of these details, right? Instead, he wants them to have a real picture of what this is going to look like. Um, he wants them to understand where he's going and the risks that are going to be involved. And so he tells them these things. He's saying, there are going to be people who don't like to hear your message. They're going to arrest you. They're going to flog you. They're going to attack you. I mean, he says some really heavy things, right? Uh, it sounds like it would kind of like deflate all of the motivation, right, <laughs> to follow Jesus on mission. Now, the kind of risk that Jesus is talking about here in Matthew 10, can we just be honest for a second as American Christians? Um, probably, probably, very few of us, if any of us in this room, have faced anything. You know, we have faced nothing even close to the kind of risk that is mentioned in this passage, right? So foreign to our experience. I highly doubt that I'm going to preach this message and you're going to strike up a conversation with your neighbor and you're going to end up getting flogged, right, <laughs> later that week. I hope not, <laughs> right? Very unlikely. But let me tell you this. Um, I have spent a lot of time, uh, not a lot of time, I've had the privilege of spending a little bit of time uh, with the global church, Steve as well. And we have been in places in the world and in rooms filled with pastors uh, who, as they read Matthew 10, this is their literal understanding of what it means to be a follower of Jesus because it has literally been their experience. Um, we ministered to a group of pastors in Sri Lanka and only about, I don't know, 30 or 40 pastors in the room, but I don't think there was a pastor in that room who had not suffered in these kinds of ways um, for the gospel. Um, there was a young guy at the conference. He was 
uh, I don't know, 18, 19 years old. Remember that young kid? 18, 19 years old. And on his way to the conference, some nationalists, essentially some, you know, the form of fascism that was rising up in his country, um, some nationalists uh, surrounded him. He, had, he was very poor. He had saved up money to get this plane ticket to come be with us. Surrounded him, beat him up in the airport. And ripped up his ticket. And I forget the whole story, but God had somehow miraculously provided for him nonetheless. And there he was worshiping with us. And we're praying for this kid. And he had literally just been beat up by nationalists for being a Christian. Um, and here we are praying for 18, 19 years old. I think he reads Matthew 10 probably differently than we read Matthew 10. Right? So I wish I could tell you that risk isn't part of the mission. But risk is part of the mission. We're putting ourselves out there in conversations. We're doing things that we haven't done before. And can I tell you something? No matter how extroverted you are um, or aren't, uh, no matter how easy you find it to strike up conversation in general or, or strike up conversations you know, with strangers or wherever God leads you in mission, I want to tell you that for as long as I've been following Jesus on mission, the feeling of taking a risk has never gone away. Um, God often leads us into the places of risk because, as we're going to find out, it's how he deepens the experience of his love and power in us. Um, if, if he didn't want us to grow, we would never have to take risks, right? Um, but we end up following him in risk, and it's the very place where God does some of the deepest stuff in us. And so, yes, it's true. At this point, there are some things that I do now in mission that used to feel scary to me that no longer feel scary to me. Now it kind of feels normal, right? But I have found that when I follow Jesus, when I'm listening to him, he's always bringing up something else, right? He's always bringing up some kind of risk that he wants me to take, Something that feels uncomfortable, something that feels scary to me still, something that kind of causes that pit in my stomach to form. Um, but I have become more confident following him in those places because it's also where he meets me, which we're going to say in just a second. Um, I've never experienced anything like what my 18, 19-year-old friend experienced. You know, never, and I don't know that I ever will in my lifetime. And this stuff is normal in the global church. Not normal for us. Um, I don't know if I'll ever experience that. Um, but I have had to take some risks that have amounted in me kind of looking stupid and kind of, you know, creating an awkward situation. And I would say when we talk about risk here, when we talk about risk being on mission, really I think most of what we're talking about is awkwardness, right? Um, our friend is like his life is on the line. For us, the big thing is, is this going to be awkward or not, right? Um, but nonetheless, that's real. I don't like to feel awkward. Neither do you, probably. Well, some of you do. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you make us feel awkward. No, I'm just teasing. Uh, <laughs> but I don't like to feel awkward, and you probably don't like to feel awkward either. So let me just share with you two quick stories. One time I was in a Starbucks, and talking about like listening to the Lord and like following where he's leading, I, I was watching one of the baristas and I felt like God might have told me something to share with them. We'll call this like a word of prophecy or a word of knowledge. Sometimes God will um, give us insight into somebody else's story and he's doing that not to shame them or humiliate them, but to show them that, that you know, he loves them. 
And this has very often for us been a way that God opens up the hearts of people. And I could stand here today and share with you some amazing stories about someone hearing something from the Spirit and sharing something very specific with them and their heart opens up and they're crying and that's not this story. Here's what happened. (laughs) I thought I heard something and I walked up to the barista. It felt like a risk. They're busy. You know, and now I'm interrupting, and I just said, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus, and I just felt like something came into my mind, and I said it, and she just looked at me and said, no, no, that doesn't, that doesn't ring true. And I said, no, no part of that rings true in your life? No. I just looked at her, and I said, I'm not very good at this. <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, I just said it. <laughs> you know? um, I'm not very good at this. Um, whatever I thought I was hearing... At the very least, it didn't land. Maybe I heard wrong. Who knows? But it kind of created an awkward situation in a Starbucks, right? Um, Same thing happened one time. We saw some amazing things happen at the mall, but one time uh, there was a woman working at this jewelry counter, and I thought that maybe, you know, the Lord had put something on my heart for her. I walked up to her, and I said this thing. I forget what it was, but I said, I'm a follower of Jesus. You know, we're walking around praying. I feel like, you know, is this part of your story? Nope. Okay, and you know, you try to shift it a little bit. Well, what about this version? <laughs> the B version, you know? Um, nope. Okay, what about the. Nope. It just gets awkward, more and more awkward, you know, the more you're standing there. Nothing, right? Um, but for every story like that, we've also seen God show up. Um, and we've seen that when we take the risk in love, sometimes even when it looks like I didn't hear from God, the person still feels loved, and that's kind of the point anyway, is not for something supernatural to happen necessarily, but just for the person to feel love. God uses the supernatural stuff to show love to people, but sometimes he uses the humility that gets formed in us in awkward situations to show love to people too. Um, I could list off awkward story after awkward story after awkward story, times where it didn't turn into anything. Um, You know, times where we took risks and it seemed like it was the wrong thing to do. Any of us who are on mission have so many stories like that. But I can tell you, I don't look back at this and think, oh, what a waste. What I think is, when I have followed Jesus in these ways, stepping into some of that is what has helped me to get over myself is what has helped me to not take myself so seriously. Um, Sometimes it's the humility in the situation that actually speaks to the person. It's allowed Jesus to cultivate humility in me, but risk is real in mission. So is suffering. Once again, I've never been through anything like what my young friend has gone through in Sri Lanka. I've never suffered like he has. I don't know that I ever will. But I can think of times when I have followed Jesus on mission where it has felt like there's suffering. Just what Jesus is telling the disciples. You're going to get accused. You're going to get flogged. You're going to get arrested sometimes. Suffering is part of the deal in following Jesus. Um, I've never suffered physically, but I can think of the suffering of just disappointment. Uh, One time there was this guy... uh, I forget even how I got to know him, but we ended up in the car together, and he opened up his life to me at a really deep level. I actually remember him shedding tears in the car. I was kind of surprised that he opened up to me so quickly. And uh, I was trying to think about, you know, how we could continue on in the friendship and the relationship. So I was like, hey, we should, you know, 
uh, maybe cook out later this week and we can hang out. And in my mind, this, was, this cookout was going to be the place where, you know, he opened up his life and we went even deeper. And, you know, he met Jesus and the Holy Spirit's showing up. And, you know, because, you know, in our minds, it's like, why wouldn't that happen when already so much is happening in this person's life? He's already opening up to me. So why wouldn't this, like, go, you know, to some kind of conclusion? But a lot of times when we're loving, just loving people, just giving away what Jesus has given to us. It does not always lead to some neat, tidy conclusion, right? Sometimes just the point is following Jesus. So um, I, I was excited for him to come over. We bought supplies. Um, I don't think I, I think we had just moved or something, and I didn't have everything to grill. I went out and bought all the stuff, and I'm like ready to hang out with this person. Text him, you coming over, hear nothing. Um, Never heard anything. I never talked to that guy again. And we were going to have a cookout. He still owes me a cookout. <laughs> <I'm st> <laughs> um, never showed up. There's a kind of disappointment sometimes. You know, we expect that something's going to happen. I could tell you so, I love the stories of healing that we have here, especially healing on mission. We've seen God heal the sick. But honestly, there's been lots of times out on the street that we've healed for, prayed for people and for healing, and nothing has happened. There's a kind of disappointment in that, right? Um, there's something in that disappointment that makes us question, do I really have the authority that Jesus said I have? Do I, it puts us in kind of this vulnerable place, right, of questioning ourselves, something wrong with me, you know, is, is God not coming through? You know, all of those things start coming through our minds. It's real. That stuff happens. Um, sometimes I just think about the waiting. There's a guy in the community who I just saw a couple weeks ago. Um, I had a dream about him, I think before we had kids. Um, it's one of the first actual like spiritual dreams I remember, and that still does not happen to me very commonly. Um, but the dream, it woke me up in the middle of the night. It was just of this guy who I know in the community on his knees repenting just crying out to God and asking for forgiveness of his sin. I, I woke up that night and went into prayer, and, um, and I've been praying for him ever since. It's been over a decade. And I'm telling you, I, while I still see this guy, I've seen no movement. No movement in that relationship, no movement in, that I can see of his heart opening up to the Lord. Sometimes in mission, there's a kind of waiting that's painful, a kind of waiting that is suffering. Like, God, aren't you going to show up and do something in this story? You know, it seemed like you wanted to do something. You put me on this prayer journey for this guy. Um, but people in Scripture have waited much longer, right, um, than I've waited. But it is a kind of suffering. Or I think about the spiritual warfare. You know, when Jesus tells the disciples, go out and cast out demons, that means that they are coming into contact with demons, right? And there is part of mission that can feel like spiritual warfare. I went through a whole season where every time I started sharing the gospel with someone or seeing them come to, you know, come to Christ, um, I would come down with a fever, sometimes mid-conversation with the person. Eventually I realized there was a pattern to this um, and that we needed to pray through it. So I pray through it, the fever stopped for me and then started happening to our kids. So, like, every time I'm out there, like, leading someone to Christ, one of our kids is coming down with a fever. Chelsea would be texting me sometimes while I'm with the person. I got a text from her one time. What are you doing right now? Because <laughs> oh, this, this fever is coming out of nowhere, right? Um, 
I don't know about you, but I, I wouldn't blame you if some of that shakes you. Some of that makes you feel like, what, is, what did I really sign up for, right? When we start, because the enemy does not let go of people easily, right? And sometimes there really is a fight, you know, that surrounds their lives. Or I just think about the pain of just following Jesus into the mess of people's lives. I don't want to share too many stories, but Ty, who's up in the sound booth today, um, he and I were with someone late last night. Um, it ended with us hugging this guy and loving this guy and praying over him. But I think we both got in the car afterwards, and we just thought, what, how, how would he ever be rescued? Like, it has to be Jesus. Like, how is this ever going to clean up? Like, how is it? And just to be that proximate, that close to the pain of people, right, creates a pain inside of our own hearts, right? We are willingly stepping into the suffering of other people when we step into their lives. Uh, I don't know about you, we spend a lot of time trying to avoid discomfort and suffering, but now in relationship, we're willingly stepping into the suffering of other people. There's a kind of pain in that. So I've never been beat up like my friend was beat up. But I do understand that to follow Jesus on mission is not all you know, triumph and excitement. And you know, sometimes it really feels like it hurts to follow Jesus in these ways. So if I can't this morning tell you that there's no risk, and I can't, if I can't this morning tell you that there's no suffering, and I can't, um, then what can I tell you? Here's what I can tell you, and it's how we get through the risk and the suffering on mission. Um, God's love is what is the most real, is the realest in mission. Here's what Jesus tells the disciples. Yeah, you're gonna get arrested, accused, flogged. But when you're there, standing in front of the jury that wants to convict you, and you're wondering if this is worth it, you're wondering if this is working, you're wondering if God is really in this, if you really have authority, in the moment when you are questioning everything, Jesus promises them that predictably they will find that God's love is already in that place where it all looks like fear and failure. He says to them, you won't have to worry about what to say because the words will just start flowing. What you're going to find, Jesus tells the disciples, is that I have already provided for you in the place where it looks like the mission is falling apart. That's one of the ways that Jesus can say that there is no place the mission will take us that we will not be able to find God's love waiting there for us. Jesus is saying, the Father has your back. He's gonna protect you, he's gonna provide for you, he's gonna sustain you. Even if they take your life, his love is waiting there on the other side of that. There's nowhere that you could ever escape his love in following Jesus on mission. Jesus, in his love, is there in the awkwardness. Every awkward feeling you feel, every feeling of anxiety you feel as you follow Jesus, his love is already there. In every place of disappointment, in every place of waiting as you follow Jesus on mission, if you have to wait, you wait in the presence of his love. If you, if you get disappointed in the mission, you run back to his love. There's his love, again, to pick you up and to dust you off and to say, keep following me. Um, in every place where we follow 
Jesus into the suffering of other people, we find that his love is already working in their suffering. Um, I want to tell you today, and it's so important that we remember this for mission, that to follow Jesus on mission, guilt is the worst motivator for you to follow Jesus on mission. Um, if, if you feel guilty before God, like I can never do enough, I can never tell enough people about mission, you know, about Jesus, I can never, if that's your motivation for mission, you will burn out so fast. Um, or if there's a kind of guilt in you that forms in comparison to other people, I can never be like Joel. I can never be like other people. I wish I was like them. I'm some kind of substandard Christian. If that's what's in your mind all the time, it is no kind of motivator for mission. There's only one thing that has ever motivated mission in the entire world, in the history of the world, and it's the love of God himself. Mission is pure love, or it's nothing. And so God fills us with his love. We find an acceptance in him that lets us handle awkwardness. The more I know I'm loved, the less I care what you think about me. The more I'm loved, the less I care about what that woman in the mall thinks about me. Oh, it's still awkward, you know what I mean? But my identity isn't shaken. I can take the risk in love because I know that God has accepted me, right? Um, the more I believe that God loves me so much that he has prepared a whole eternity for me that is all love, I can handle the waiting. I can handle the disappointment, right? The more I believe that God has loved this mess, the more I can believe that he loves your mess or the mess that I stepped into last night with my friend. I believe more than ever that God's love is capable of dealing with that mess because God dealt with my mess. God loves me, right? See, this is the best thing that we have to take into the world as we follow Jesus on mission. It's not our skill on mission. It's not having the right words to say. Um, you know, it's not, you know, I don't know, our guilt-driven, performance-oriented, like, way of following Jesus, you know, and all of that. What we, what we take into the world is the love that God has poured into our own hearts, and that's what we give away. Ty and I were hugging a guy last night who's desperate. Like, God needs to show up or this guy's gonna die. Um, we're hugging him last night, and, uh, and all I felt for him, I thought, I don't have any answers for this dude. You know, I don't, I don't know how to fix this. But what Ty and I have is the love, it's what you have. It's the love that God put inside of us. And we can hug him, you know what I mean? Like, we can give away that love and let God do the rest, no matter how disappointing or no matter how much waiting goes on, no matter how much it seems like God isn't answering our prayers, there's nowhere we go where we don't find God's love forming deeper in us, right? As a matter of fact, I would say this too. Last thing I'll say. It's really hard to be on mission if you don't believe God loves you. It's very hard. Because you'll hit that point of suffering, awkwardness, and everything will fall apart. But the more you believe that God loves you, the more you'll make it through those times. This really begins in receiving the love of God. By the way, which is just another, let me make some like theological connections for you. That's what it means to be filled with the Spirit, fundamentally. To be filled with God's Spirit is to be filled with the love of God. And this is why Jesus said that he was giving his Spirit to us so that we could be witnesses. He's saying, I'm filling you with love so that you can step out on mission. Right? That's what it means. 
Um, we receive his love. What else do we have to give? Not our words, not our experience. We have God's love to give. It's the only thing, you know, that we have to give. Um, it's very hard to be on mission if we don't believe that we're loved. But the deeper that we go into the love of God, the more we can be on mission. And I would say this. I have found in my own life so much of my healing journey was actually wrapped up in taking these risks. Because every time I felt awkward or disappointed or had to wait, it opened up another part of my soul. It revealed another part of my soul that maybe I didn't even see before where I realized I, I didn't think I was loved. Um, and it was just another opportunity for God to fill that more so that I could grow in another risk, so I could grow past that fear um, but it's his love that transforms us, amen?